Caution, you are about to enter the speed zone. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into the Speedcast, episode number 174. We're coming at you from a record date of Friday, April the 28th, 2023. I'm Jeremy Smith, alongside Darren Baxter, and we want to apologize. I know we've been uh, a little absent uh, lately, just a lot of conflicts between uh, work and, and, and personal life has uh, like it's uh, gotten in the way more than normal this season, Darren, so uh, we do apologize for that. Yes, absolutely. We do apologize, and uh, I'll go ahead and take the bullet, though, for last week. That one was totally on me. You know, obviously, being on vacation and all that sort of stuff is certainly not an excuse, especially because, unfortunately, our cancellation kind of happened at the 11th hour with some of the things that came up on my side. But if I guess if there's any one little positive slant I can put on it, you know, the vacation, I was about an hour away from Indianapolis, obviously the home of the Indy 500. So there was at least still racing involved, I guess, in some weird way. And just, you know, being being in the Indianapolis airport, I didn't even get to tell you this, Jeremy, before we started recording. But right now, actually, as they're getting ready for the Indy 500, obviously, next month they actually have like a couple of uh like real life-size indie cars i believe they're the real deal they actually have a couple of them in the airport and uh it was really really cool and uh when we get done recording you oh, wow. remind me i'll need to text you some photos of them yeah, that's really cool yeah Definitely so, want to see that. Um, so, so anyway, so yeah, it's. I, I was going to say it doesn't obviously doesn't excuse anything as far as the uh, lack of recording the last couple weeks, but just wanted to offer my personal apologies. Uh, you know, it is what it is. But the important thing is we're back, and uh, you know, obviously, plenty of racing to talk about today. You're definitely right about that, and we're going to do since we missed a week, we're going to do our quick recap of Martinsville weekend, and then there was an Indy race that weekend as well, uh, the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. And then we'll just quickly recap, you know, the winners of those races, and then we will break down Talladega weekend, and then look ahead uh, to Dover weekend, and then of course some news and notes sandwiched in between there. Um, so we'll start off with Martinsville weekend and the victory in the uh, Cup Series race that weekend in the NoCo 400 was Kyle Larson, and uh, needless to say, he's he's been he's off to a pretty good start this year. I would say so, certainly. His uh, second win of the season, and, you know, I think we're still kind of waiting for him to come back to 2021 championship form, but, you know, for him to have two wins and, you know, obviously just with the recent uh, rescinding of the points penalties for Hendrick Motorsports, I mean, we're going to see here in a little while when we cover points, Kyle Larson is sitting pretty at this point with that second win, so I think really... Uh, I, I think really in some ways, really, you almost can't emphasize enough, I think, just how, uh, really just how big this win was for Kyle Larson. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and just it just seems like, uh, you know, last year, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't a situation last year he was stuck on one win that he got early in the season um, and was stuck on it for most of the year. Um, trying to think if he ever won again last year. I, I feel like he did, but I cannot recall at the moment. But regardless, he's off to a much better start this year and looks to be, you know, you know, may not be able to expect another 10-win season like 2021, but I think absolutely back into a championship-contending type of form for him this year for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly agree with that. Um, 
I mean, just, and I think you're correct, Jeremy. I think he was stuck on one or two wins for a good portion of last season, and then towards the end, he started winning again. I do remember at the very least one of his wins coming when he'd been eliminated in the midst of the playoffs. So um, I want to say when it was all said and done, he had three or four wins last season, which is a good year, no doubt. But just again, a far, far cry from the 2021 form that he showed. I'm with you, though, that I think that by the time the season's all said and done, I think he'll have five or six wins, and he probably will be in the championship four at the very end. Um, Really, I think had it not been for some bad luck for him just down the stretch last season in the playoffs, I think he definitely would have been in the championship four last year. So I don't know. It's I mean, it's a different kind of feeling, I think, for Kyle Larson at this point, just knowing that he's got that second win relatively early into the season, all things considered. Really, it's just up to him and the team, really, just to uh, kind of just see where else they can take it from here. Because, uh, again, we'll look at these standings here in a minute. We'll see he's awfully high up there. So uh, plenty of momentum on his side, I think, to say the least. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, and then as we look further on uh, that weekend, the Xfinity Series, the call 811 before you dig 250, um, <laughs> just these long names of the race, it's, it's they're pretty comical sometimes. Um, the winner of this race, John Hunter Nemechek. Yeah, and I just looking really quick for him, uh, I mean, I think we expected that he was going to be good in the Xfinity Series, you know, this season, just running full-time for Joe Gibbs Racing, but, you know, he's already got two wins on the season, so uh, I think just showing really early on that definitely his success at the Truck Series level was certainly no fluke, you know, and again, we expect that he was going to be pretty good this season, but I think just having two wins out of the gate, you know, he's certainly been, I think, just one of the, the highest of highlights, so to speak, in the Xfinity Series this season. Really, the only thing that's overshadowing him, or I should say the only driver that's overshadowing him, is Austin Hill, and that's just by virtue of Hill just obviously having a uh, crazy season in his own right. But, you know, again, that uh, doesn't take anything away from just how well John Hunter Nemechek's doing. you got to think that if he keeps this up, he may be getting back to the Cup Series uh, sooner rather than later. Absolutely, and very possible in a in a much better ride. Um, you know, obviously, d depending on what comes available, but definitely think that would be a good possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, and then looking at the truck series from that weekend as well, the Long John Silvers two hundred, and uh, Corey Heim comes away with the victory. Um, a young, up and coming driver who's really starting to uh, to turn some heads. Um, you know. Saw him having success in the Arca series, and now we're seeing it in trucks as well. Absolutely. And last season, running part-time for Kyle Busch Motorsports, he won two races last year. And, you know, really making the switch this season full-time, but with a different team, I was of the mind that it maybe was going to be a little while before we'd see him in victory lane again. And that's obviously no disrespect to him, because like you said, the success in ARCA, then the two wins last season, obviously a driver who's proven that he has plenty of talent. Really, the only question was just going to be how much speed would he have? And, well, obviously he had enough of that at Martinsville for the Long John Silver's 200. Great to see Corey Heim back in victory lane. And, uh, Again, just sooner than we would have expected. So maybe this is going to be potentially a push for a championship for him this season, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just definitely, you know, it's it's wild, first off, you know, because and I think part of it's because we missed a little time here and there. But, I mean, we're at the end of April now. And, I mean, the the point standings in all three of these series, as we'll take a look at in, in just a bit, are really starting to take shape and uh, really starting to, you know, patterns and – Kind of the cream is starting to rise to the top, if you will, uh, in all three of these uh, NASCAR series. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. We're definitely getting a good idea, basically, just as to how this season's going to shake out. You said it best, Jeremy, just with us being at the end of April, we're basically nine or ten races into the schedule, depending on what series we're covering at that given moment. So 
basically by virtue of that, we're practically a quarter of the way through the year, which uh, really it has crept up on us. And I think you're right that definitely not having recorded the last couple weeks, it probably does, you know, that plays into it some, I definitely think. But at the same time, though, just the season's going really quick. Even just with the race that we'll be covering here next, we're pretty crazy to think that it's been two weeks even since that last one, you know, again, that we're about to cover. So season's going by and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where they always say just strap in and hang on. But uh, (laughs) I guess for us in this case, just with how fast we feel like it's going on, that applies doubly in this case. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, One other race, or excuse me, yeah, one other race from that weekend um, as well. And this occurred in the IndyCar series at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. And the winner of this race, not a name that uh, commonly see in victory lane in IndyCar, and that was Kyle Kirkwood. Yep, and, uh, you know, only his second season. We remember last season, obviously, running for AJ Ford Racing, you know, I wouldn't say doing special things per se in the car, but definitely just, you know, showing that he wasn't necessarily a slouch as a rookie, but at the same time, you know, obviously we weren't seeing him constantly in the top five or the top ten or anything like that. So he was a bit of a question mark coming into this season, but the big thing that really changed for him, though, was that now he's with Andretti Autosport. It's a totally different scenario. Maybe not necessarily an elite team for IndyCar, but certainly one that uh, has more speed, and certainly they're going to have drivers and cars that are going to be capable of winning races here and there. Kyle Kirkwood, obviously, uh, choosing the perfect time to strike and just seeing him get this victory and leading as many laps as he did because he led a large, large majority of the race. I thought it was pretty eye-opening, definitely a statement win, certainly. And I can't help but wonder, might this be the next IndyCar star being born right before our very eyes? It would be exciting because, I mean, you obviously want to see these, you know, young drivers. And we talk about NASCAR, I know, a lot. But, you know, in in racing as a whole, you know, you want to see these young guys um you know, starting to have success because, I mean, that's part of the future of the sport. I mean, we talked about Corey Iam a moment ago. I mean, that's the guy that, you know, we hope is a, is a guy that continues to progress and, and get better and better because he's part of the future of, of NASCAR. I mean, they're, you know, same with Kyle Kirkwood in IndyCar. So, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, the fact that he was able to get a win here in only a second season, like you said, and definitely, you know, excited to see where that goes from here and if he continues to you know, to build off of this, because like I said, it could be, you know, some of these other drivers that are up there in age, you know, start to phase out like your Castro Nevis, like Scott Dixon is, you know, one of the best all time. But I mean, these guys that are, you know, eventually going to be, you know, phasing out, you know, if he could shows he continues to, to perform, wouldn't surprise me if a driver like this, you know, if he continues to, to show how good he is, he continues to, to get better you know, wouldn't shock me at all if he was able to get a, a ride in one of those elite teams over there in the next couple of years. Oh, absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. And I think just even what you said just about just, you know, the stars of just auto racing as a whole, whether it's NASCAR or IndyCar, I mean, yeah, we have plenty of these drivers that they're getting up there in age that, and they're obviously not going to be around forever. And really just, we think about, I think even in the realm of IndyCar, it's been a good minute. I mean, I know Scott Dixon's still there, but it's been a good minute really, I think since we've had that next breakout star that you just know is going to be the future basically of the entire series not saying that kyle kirkwood is necessarily going to be that but i think just uh in the realm of indycar they are looking certainly for that next superstar who's going to be that face that's going to be around for say the next 15 or 20 years and i think just in the realm of just uh i mean we talk about television ratings and popularity a lot here in north america i think definitely in the realm of just north america as a whole i would say that north america is absolutely looking for that next breakout star you know, and I say that just in akin to say a Michael Andretti who really carried the sport. I think uh, in some ways, certainly in the '90s, 
you know, Joseph Newgarden, maybe he might be that big contender right now just with all the success he's had early in his career. But just you have to think yeah. that if Kyle Kirkwood stays on the path that he's on right now, like we said, maybe keeps winning some races for Andretti Autosport, then maybe moves over to one of those really elite teams in IndyCar, he certainly has an outside chance of maybe being that next huge American star. And uh, just, you know, for you and I, Jeremy, obviously we cover the ratings and we talk about all of this so much. You know, with IndyCar really struggling even just to gain a 1.0 in any of the races they run at this point, I know it's a different time and a different place, and certainly I think the series is doing better than they have been in quite some time. But just there's definitely room, though, as far as gains for just popularity. And so, again, I'll just say it just in summation that I think it's important really for North America to have that next major breakout star. We're just waiting to see who it's going to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and, and if he's able to be that, you know, it could be huge for the sport. You want to talk about a, a guy you could really market around mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, make your, you know, in a sense, poster, not poster child, but, you know, cover cover athlete or however, however you want to word it of your sport, you know, similar. I know he's not the only one, but kind of similar to what, Na what, to what NASCAR does with Chase Elliott, considering, mm -hmm. you know, he's the most popular driver and he's already a champion, you know, and shows he, you know, knows how to win races and, and wins a lot. You know, that definitely, uh, you know, is a similar situation to, to them. So yeah, I definitely, you know, I hope that that takes place and I hope that comes to fruition for any car because that would definitely be a breath of fresh air and a, and a good sign for the future of the sport. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So now we are going to transition over to this past weekend's uh, set of races at Talladega Super Speedway, and we are going to start off with the Cup Series, the Geico 500. Wow, finally a race name that, you know, <laughs> is it 1,500 syllables? Um, <laughs> so the Geico 500, and the winner of this race out of 196 laps, because, yes, we did have a few – overtime restarts it was a pretty wild finish in this one um the winner of this race only led three of those 196 laps but came through in the end and that's the driver of the number eight chevrolet for richard children's racing kyle bush and just ironic because we were just talking about just the realm of superstars and auto racing as a whole so it's almost like you go from maybe one budding superstar in kyle kirkwood to a bonafide superstar and first ballot hall of famer in kyle bush like you said, he only leads the three laps. Uh, I guess maybe in some ways, maybe uh, for synergy, he would have been hoping that the car was number three instead of number eight. Maybe at the end of the day, though, maybe he just doesn't care because I think for him, he just wants to cross that start-finish line first. And what was this, Jeremy, the first time in 15 years that he's won at Talladega? Something like that, anyway. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think they mentioned that after the race uh, during the during the interview. And the thing with, with these super speedway races you know, it's it, you don't necessarily need to you know be the person that leads all the laps and everything like that. You really just need to stay in contention, keep your car clean, and be able to just make the right move at the right time. It's not a situation you know like a lot of the intermediate tracks where obviously if you're leading three quarters of the race, then clearly you have the dominant car. It doesn't necessarily mean that at a place like Talladega, you may be the the you may have a really good car and you may be the one leading a certain line, the the top or the low line you know, for a, a good stretch of time. So because of that, you may take off 20, 30, 40 laps lead. But like I said, if you keep your car clean and, and just stay there with the, with the pack, I mean, it doesn't matter if you lead 150 or Kyle's 
case three. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, they always say sometimes it's all about being in the right place at the right time. And I, I think that applies tenfold at a super speedway, like you just yeah. said, you know, and I, and maybe a bit of a hot take here, but I remember we once had the discussion basically of just, you know, when you're, when you're basically in the, the last couple laps of one of these super speedway races, would you rather be the leader or would you rather be somebody trailing? I remember I said at the time that, you know, I almost, I almost always thought that in those races that the leader was something of a sitting duck, unless they're really, really good at blocking. But so, I, you know, and I think in most cases, you know, it probably does hold true that you do want to be the leader because, you know, you are in control basically of the pace in some respect. And then certainly you have at least a little bit more you can do as far as blocking and just disrupting the lines and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, sometimes once you see it all break apart, like we saw at the very, very end, you know, sometimes it, it does come down to somebody who's, say, running in second, third or fourth or whatever, and they end up being a benefactor. And Kyle Busch, he cashed in in a big, big way. And uh, really, in some ways, Jeremy, I think fulfilling your prophecy, because you had said earlier this season, you know, after he had gotten that first victory, that he was going to be back in victory lane multiple times this season. And here it is. So, yeah. you know, and that's just on top of Kyle Busch just having been as consistent as he has been this season, which maybe in some ways was a little bit unexpected. Expected, but at the same time, maybe it wasn't so unexpected. It is Kyle Busch, after all. I mean, again, first ballot Hall of Famer and bonafide superstar, so you really can't expect anything else but uh, good runs out of him week in and week out. I think the last couple of years that Joe Gibbs Racing really just put a mental toll on him, it sure seems like, because he just seems to be racing. I mean, just he just seems to be racing so much more, I don't know if free is the, is the right term, but he just... I, I mean, just the last couple of years, he just hasn't seemed like the Kyle Busch that we have known him to be. And it's like, you know, like it's just it's kind of unusual that he's already slowing down to this level. And then obviously we see him now year one with RCR. And my goodness, he is uh, definitely looking like a championship contender and has all year so far. And it's just wild. I mean, he, he is putting I mean, Tyler Reddick was obviously doing great with that with that a car, but. Kyle Busch is, is definitely making uh, or helping make RCR back into a legit championship, you know, contender. It's uh, it's a, obviously a great thing to see for a long-standing successful team that hasn't been you know, at the top of the sport in a while. Exactly. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And I think it's been one of the stories of the season so far, certainly in the Cup Series, and certainly one that I've enjoyed seeing. It's like, I feel like, you know, and I think a lot of fans, they share this sentiment, but I feel like for me, you know, just personally, it's kind of like for me, the narrative of Kyle Busch has kind of changed over the last couple of years, because I remember even when we were in our first season with the Speedcast, you know, I wouldn't say that I really disliked Kyle Busch, but I wasn't fond of him. Let's put it that way. And then it's like as the seasons have gone on and, you know, just him winning less and less and less, it's almost like you started to kind of uh, maybe sympathize in some ways because it's like, well, geez, you know, we know, we know he's still obviously young enough. Um, still yeah. should have plenty of competitive years left in him, but it does seem like there was something going on at Joe Gibbs Racing. And maybe it was even just the fact that they weren't giving him the big contract extension he wanted because that's the thing, you know, whether we whether we want to admit it or not, things like that, even if we are at the top of our game, they are going to weigh on you. You know, like, well, geez, did oh, they, yeah. do they not want me? Am I not good enough? Am I not this? Am I not that? And that stuff, certainly in something like auto racing, it is going to factor into your performance. So... I think definitely these last two seasons, I think that was probably a lot of the explanation for why Kyle Busch just didn't seem to be himself. And that's why I think, Jeremy, that you hit the nail on the head just saying that uh, he does seem to be racing more free this season, just more loose, just more cool, and still getting hot-headed sometimes when he needs to. But uh, 
I think it's just it's just a great turnaround just from what we had seen the previous few seasons. And it's just funny also that for all the questions of sponsorship in that old number 18 car, I thought it was kind of ironic that we saw a first time sponsor for that number eight McLaren Custom Grills. Uh, just funny how funny how you know the difference with a season and the difference that a team can make. Now suddenly sponsorship doesn't seem to be such an issue for Kyle. So uh, maybe Joe Gibbs and and their camp. Uh, I mean, we'll see obviously what happens with Ty Gibbs going forward as his career continues. But maybe Joe Gibbs and them, maybe they made a little bit of a, a little bit too much of a, a mistake, I guess, uh, sleeping on Kyle, so to speak, and letting that whole thing drag out to a point of no return. No, I agree. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that uh with that decision either but just because i mean you have a you know a two-time champion one of the best of all time and you know to not you know do everything you took to to keep him is you know i always found very strange but he's in he seems to be in a place he's really happy now and, and it almost you almost sense it when he talks in the interviews as well whether it be before or after a race or whatever it may be he just I don't know. He just seems to be in a, I don't know. Just it, it, well, when you compare it to the last couple of years where it seemed like he was always stressed or upset about something, you know, and you know, I'm sure a lot of that, you know, stemmed from the whole contract issue, you know, having job security goes a long way. Oh yeah, it definitely does. And I agree hundred percent. I think he's more relaxed in the interviews this season, even in the races that he hasn't won and he still did rather well. And it seemed like the last couple of years, you'd, he'd kind of just would seem to be really, really dejected and just not really have anything positive to say. But I've noticed this season, maybe even in races where he just finishes a modest top 10 or whatever, notice just he's a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more positive And I think I agree yep. with you 100% that I think it's the job security and just, you know, so like I said, he seems more relaxed. He seems more at peace, really, I'll say, for lack of a better term. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think just these kind of things and just him being a uh, veteran now of just so many years, I think just the narrative with him is changing to where, you know, he's picked up a lot of fans along the way through this whole uh, disappointment of leaving Joe Gibbs Racing. And I'll just say it right now, I'm one of those fans because now at this point, you know, yeah. I, I don't know that I'd put him in a top five per se, but I definitely like Kyle Busch a whole heck of a lot more than I did a couple years ago. And certainly one of the drivers that I think it's an absolute pleasure to watch week in and week out, and especially when he's winning. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that may be the longest stretch of consecutive minutes that we have been on this show that we have talked about Kyle Busch. Yeah. That's, uh, that, was quite, <laughs> that was quite impressive, but rightfully so. I mean... You know, getting his second win of the year, and you know, obviously, we'll see where he's at in the point standings when we take a look at that in a few minutes. But um, just an impressive start for him with this team, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, as we look through the rest of um, the rest of the top five, Ryan Blaney led forty-seven laps in this one, came home in second place. Um, so, obviously, a really strong run for him in that Penske Ford. And then looking, and actually the rest of the top five was all Ford. <laughs> Chris Buescher of RFK Racing came home in third place. Chase Briscoe came home in fourth. And then Brad Kozlowski in fifth. So RFK Racing getting both of their cars in the top five, definitely a good sign and, and good for that team. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Um, I'll actually admit that I was kind of rooting for Brad to figure out a way to win it at the very end. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that he had enough speed or just wasn't catching the draft good enough, but, I mean, at the end of the day, though, a top five for both of the RFK cars, especially with both of them basically being in this playoff hunt at this point, you know, it can't be looked at as anything but a good day for them. And again, I think just more proof in the pudding that, you know, things are definitely a bit different this season for RFK racing and uh, just, you know, anxious to see, I think I, I would say with positive anxiousness or positive anticipation, just waiting to see how the rest of the year plays out for them. I'd love to see both of those cars make the playoffs if possible. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I would definitely love that as well. And so continuing on through the rest of the top 10, you had Eric Jones. He finished in sixth for Legacy Motor Club. William Byron, he came home in seventh. You had Christopher Bell, who finished eighth. Daniel Suarez, a finish that he needed, as we'll look at these playoffs here in a few moments. Uh, Daniel Suarez came home in ninth, then a good run for Todd Gilliland, coming home a solid tenth. J.J. Yaley with a uh, uh, surprising, you know, we definitely don't see him finish up here. He came home in 11th place. Chase Elliott, his second race back, one stage one. Uh, finished second in stage two, so was running extremely well. Just wasn't able to get all the way back up there. Um, and, but finished twelfth in this one. Alex Bowman in thirteenth. We're going to have some news about him here in a few moments. Uh, Ty Dillon finished fourteenth, and then Ricky Stenhouse Jr. fifteenth. And then from there we had Tyler Reddick who came home in sixteenth, followed by Dan- uh, Denny Hamlin in seventeenth. You had Justin Haley, who finished 19th. Uh, We had Kevin Harvick, who came home 21st. Eric Almirola, 22nd. Also, Almirola, notably, won Stage 2 in this race. Cool photo finish moment there at the end of Stage 2. Just had to throw that out there. Um, Ross Chastain, he's still looking for his first victory of the season. He came home, I guess, a disappointing 23rd, if you want to just go ahead and say that, especially considering that he won at Talladega last season, was thinking maybe that he was going to be you know, one of the guys who had a real chance in this one, but unfortunately it did not just come, or it unfortunately did not come together for him. Um, Austin Hill, he made the start in this one for Beard Motorsports. You know, it's funny. I was looking for that 62 car because, you know, we know that Beard Motorsports, they make obviously the starts on the super speedways. I didn't see the car mm-hmm. this whole race. So I was thinking, well, Beard must not have been in this one, but you know, then again, I must not have been looking hard enough because Austin Hill drove the 62. <laughs> so he came home 24th in this race. You had Corey LaJoy who came home 25th. I'll mention one more, and then I'll let you take the last of them, Jeremy. We had Austin Sindrick, who came home in 26th. And looking through the rest, obviously, we're going to have a lot of the guys that, you know, got crashed out in this one. Um, Mark Trix Jr., he came home in 27th. Bubba Wallace, who led 35 laps, was extremely well. And then battling with Ryan Blaney late in this race, you know, before one of the many um, overtime restarts, you know, wind up uh, – into the wall i mean had a had a great chance to win this one and just uh you know was <laughs> battling a bit too hard with his with his friend ryan blaney and got himself in trouble yep yeah he kind of unfortunately did himself in with that one but you got to give him an yeah. a for effort and at the end of the day you know that's why i always say that bubba wallace is going to be a threat in any of these super speedway races i mean we already know he's a former winner at talladega so that's enough but it's just you know despite the 28th place finish and the crash you know, really, if you think about it, Bubba Wallace was only inches away from maybe winning this one had that last block gone a little bit differently because he seemed to have enough speed and he had enough wherewithal basically making those moves, just blocking the different lanes. So it's just a case of one block too many, like you said, a case of a couple inches that were just not there for Bubba Wallace. But again, it might be a 28th, but I think it doesn't tell the whole story really just of how good he did and how close he really was to winning. So, uh, you know, again, just more proof in the pudding that anytime we have a super speedway race, I'm always going to say that Bubba Wallace is a contender because, again, this race was pure proof of that. Absolutely. Uh, then looking further down, A.J. Allmendinger came in 29th, Joey Logano in 30th, Ty Gibbs in 31st, uh, Noah Gregson 32nd, Kyle Larson, uh, bad finish for him in 33rd, Ryan Priest in 34th, Mike McTown 35th, Harrison Burton in 36th, and then Austin Dillon came home last in 38th. And do have to mention very quickly, Jeremy, uh, what about that crash with Larson and Priest? Uh, I can't remember the last time that there was a crash uh, that violent, so to speak. I mean, I know that Larson and Priest, they were both okay, so thankfully safety did its job with the car. But uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't uh, Kyle Larson the whole, there wasn't there actually a hole in the side of his car at the end of that crash? Yes. Been a good, yep. Been, yep, a good that's right. been a good minute since we've seen something uh, cause that much damage at the Cup Series level. So I don't know if that's something that NASCAR will be taking a look at further, maybe to try to address. But uh, just again, at the very least, both drivers okay, nobody was hurt. But just thought that was a little bit eye-opening, though, just to see that much damage to a car in one of these kind of crashes. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so now we will transition over to the Xfinity race at Talladega, the, uh, the AG Pro 300. And the winner of this race was Jeb Burton, uh, leading 17 laps in this race, uh, winning um, a stage as well, winning stage two in this one, and coming away with the win. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's the thing. With the super speedways, we say all the time, obviously, you know, everybody's on something of an equal footing. I don't know that it's an upset per se, because I believe Jeb Burton has been in victory lane before in the Xfinity series. I could have that wrong, but I believe he has won before. It's probably been a good minute since he has, but... uh, you know, led 17 laps on the day, so I mean, not necessarily a flash-in-the-pan kind of victory, but at the end of the day, it's a solid win, and uh, obviously if there's not enough unique race winners, uh, very well could be what he needs to vault himself into the playoffs, because him just being on a smaller yeah. team now, no longer with colleague racing, you know, points definitely been a little bit of a struggle for him, and we'll even see that when we cover the Xfinity Series points in a bit, so a very timely win for Jeb Burton, and just... Uh, you know, just a job well done, you know, because a lot of times these races just a matter of outlasting the competition. And I would say he certainly did that. Absolutely. Um, they come in on second uh, drive for Richard Childress, uh, Sheldon Creed, who led 11 laps in this race. Uh, Parker Klinkerman came home in third. Cole Custer, he came home in fourth. And then Brennan Poole in fifth. Then from there, a name we don't see too often in the top 10, Cesar Baccarella. He yeah. finished in sixth, though a very, very good run for him. Parker Retzlaff came home in seventh in this one. You had Gray Galding, who finished in eighth. Then you had Joey Gase, who finished ninth. And then Josh Williams rounded out the top 10. Ryan Ellis, he came home in 11th. Brett Moffat in 12th. C.J. McLaughlin in 13th. Brandon Jones in 14th. Kyle Seek in 15th. And I'll take a couple more here. Ryan Truex in 17th. And then Austin Hill in 18th. Funny to see Austin Hill not win one of these super speedway races because it seems like uh, it seems like he's usually there at the very end with these ones in the Xfinity series. So a bit of a missed opportunity, I'd say, for him. Um, that being said, though, you had Jeremy Clements. He finished in 19th. You had former champion Daniel Hemrick, who finished in 21st. Ryan C. came home 22nd. You had Riley Erbst finish in 23rd. Uh, Kaz Grala came home 24th. Chandler Smith made the start in this one. He finished 25th. Um, I'll just take a couple more from here, and then I'll give the last of them to you. You had Derek Krause, who finished in 27th, Justin Allgaier, who came home 28th. Um, last one I'll mention, uh, Sam Mayer, he came home 29th. Josh Berry, he came home in 30th, and we'll have some more news about him as well here in a moment. Uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt in 31st. John Hunter Nemechek came home 32nd. Um, let's see here, Sammy Smith, he came home in 33rd. Anthony Alfredo in 37th. Uh, place in this race. So there you go. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the, uh, I don't think the truck series, they did not compete at Talladega. So we don't have any results for them, but I know it's been a good minute since we've covered standings in general. So we'll still obviously cover trucks here in a few moments once we transition to the standings. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and with that being said, we will now transition over to the point standings for this season. And we'll start obviously with the cup series and we were talking about guys like Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson a little bit ago when we were going over the race recaps. And 
when you know it, they are the two at the top of the standings right now. Kyle Larson is the one at the very top uh, with just a little bit more, uh, five more points total than what Kyle Busch has, but both have the same amount of wins at two. So Kyle Busch obviously sitting at two wins. William Byron, the only other driver with multiple wins this year, sitting currently in third. Christopher Bell sitting in fourth with his one victory. And then Tyler Reddick sitting in fifth with his one victory. And let me just say really quick, a uh, just a sparkling number of points there for Christopher Bell so far. Just looking at the top 16 really quick, he's got, oh, yeah. got the most points out of anybody else. So just, you know, we've talked a couple times this season just about him, I think, being the runaway top driver at Joe Gibbs Racing. And just, again, the perfect evidence of that right here just with the number of points that he has. Definitely. And so outside of the top five, you had Joey Logano. He sits in sixth in the standings, currently one win on the season. The last of your race winners this season, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., obviously we know we're going to be covering him week in and week out here in these points because he has one win, so that has him in seventh currently in the standings. Sitting in eighth, Ross Chastain surprisingly has not won a race yet, but he's done pretty well actually overall as, as far as points are concerned. He has the second most points out of anybody in the field right now, so definitely still been plenty consistent. I think a win is still coming for him at some point relatively soon. He sits in eighth currently in the standings. Right behind him, Kevin Harvick, who sits in ninth, and Harvick doing pretty well points-wise too, pretty consistent this season. Rounding out the top ten, Martin Truex Jr. Um, so obviously, you know, he's still in search of a win. How long has it been, Jeremy, since Truex has won? I mean, it's been a good minute even just from that standpoint, but at least he's still yeah. been, at least he's still been consistent enough, though, to be in the top ten in the standings. But you got to think he's getting frustrated, though, with how long it's been since he's won. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. It's, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, he's not getting any younger, and, and he's definitely, I would, I would say the pressure may be on him a little bit just because, you know, I mean, I know his job is secure there, but obviously he wants to, you know, be able to, I'm sure, I would think, get another contract. I don't know what he's wanting to do as far as, you know, his future, but um, not winning races for a couple of years isn't necessarily helping your chances, I wouldn't think. No, definitely not, because, and that's even just considering that last season there was plenty of speculation that last year was going to be his final year, and it was relatively yep. late in the year before he announced he was going to be coming back, so you almost do have to think that Truex is evaluating it on a season-by-season -season basis, and going long stretches like this where you're not winning races, I mean, that could very well at some point be the difference maker for him as far as a decision is concerned. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if he knows that he's still competing at a high level, I, I'm confident that, you know, that he would definitely continue to come back but you know sometimes though i think a driver if they kind of let it just get to their head a little bit too much that they haven't won in a while before you know it they start thinking well i just don't have what it takes anymore we don't have what it takes so i'm just going to hang it up while i'm still you know in good health and all that yeah. I, I'm, I'm hopeful obviously that truex will win at some point here relatively soon and we do see him come back because i mean just with how long he's been obviously in the cup series and you know one of the last really of a holdover of just a very legendary era you know obviously when the sport was at its highest in terms of popularity and such so you know you're losing people like kevin harvick at the end of this season obviously folks like kyle bush only have so long left people like truex only have so long left so really for us i think just being legacy fans in some sense you know obviously we want to see these uh older drivers continue on as long as possible because they've been a very important part of our lives as far as fans uh, fanmanship is concerned oh 100 yeah i couldn't agree more there um for sure. So, and then looking now further on into the into the point standings, eleventh currently is Ryan Blaney. In twelfth is Alex Bowman, who I know we've said this I feel like seven times now, but <laughs> we're gonna have some news about him in just a moment. Um, in thirteenth, just strange seeing him way down here mm -hmm. in the standings. But 
here he is. Definitely not been the consistent Denny Hamlin that we've been used to. Yeah, not at all. And I almost feel like he's kind of pressing a little bit as far as this season is concerned. I know he won a few times last year. And so I think from a race winning standpoint, it's not going to be it's not too much of a stretch to think that at some point he's going to win this season. But, you know, not only has he not been quite as consistent as we're used to seeing out of him, even just look at the difference right now just between him and the top point gatherer, that being Christopher Bell. 61 points separate those two drivers. Um, I don't know about you, Jeremy, but it just kind of feels like this is a bit of a different situation for Denny Hamlin because I think even last season he was struggling basically to get as, you know, as many points as he could even when he wasn't winning. So it, it does kind of call to question a little bit is maybe Denny Hamlin running into that situation where maybe just, I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or if his reaction time slowing down or maybe it's just some changes under the hood, so to speak, at Joe Gibbs Racing where they're not getting all the speed out of the cars like they used to. Not really too sure, but uh, definitely just kind of, like you said, just strange to see Denny this far down because we're certainly not used to it. Oh, yeah, same, 100%. Uh, then I'm gonna, I'll go through the rest of the of the top 16, and then you'll cover the uh, outside the bubble here. Brack is Lasky currently sitting in 14th in the standings. Chase Briscoe in 15th, and then 16th, the other ROK driver, Chris Buescher. So like we said earlier, good to see the two RFK drivers not only finishing in the top five at Talladega, but great to see them in the top 16 in the points. Do have to say yeah. very, very quickly, though, I'm actually surprised to see Chase Briscoe in 15th because it feels like he just has not had that good of a year. And uh, I just it, it, and that's no disrespect towards him. Just I admittedly did not think he had gathered enough points to be, you know, in 15th right now in the standings. I mean, barely holding on only three points, basically, you know, to the cut line. But uh I don't know. Just I, I feel like if he's going to make it in the playoffs this season, not only is he going to have to win a race, but he's absolutely going to have to pick it up just as far as consistency. Because I think if he keeps driving the way he is, one of these young drivers, or I should say one of these budding drivers below the top 16, I feel like at some point they're going to catch him. Yeah, honestly, I agree. He's really got to pick up, really has to pick up that performance uh, from what we've seen. If if he doesn't want to get caught, but that's that's for sure. Mm -hmm, certainly, and I think that's evidence just when you look at you know the 17th place driver. You've got Daniel Suarez sitting at 229 points right now. He's only 11 points below that cut line. So, you know, last season, obviously, with the year he had making the playoffs and having a pretty good run, all things considered, and even just, you know, obviously winning at Sonoma. I almost called it the old Sears Point, so I almost went to retro mode there. Um, <laughs> well, heck, remember another name I remember. Sears Point was the obviously the retro, but... Then for Denver, a little while, they used to call it Infineon yes. Speedway or Raceway. Uh-huh. Yep. I remember Infineon very well. So, you know, that's yeah. that, that's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. If you're ever if you're ever feeling like that you just can't keep up with the uh, names of the tracks and all that sort of stuff, don't feel bad because your friends at the Speedcast, we're, among, we're right on along the same lines, too. So, anyways, uh -huh. all jokes aside, Daniel Suarez, he wins, obviously, last season at Sonoma. I think he's probably going to get back into victory lane at some point this season. It's been a little bit of a slow start for him, but he's not that far out as far as the playoff picture is concerned. Another guy to think about is Austin Sendrick. He's sitting 18th currently, 27 points below the cut line. That's obviously not an insurmountable gap. And Austin Sendrick, I know he's only won the one race so far at the Cup Series level, that being last year's Daytona 500, but you have to think that at some point, I mean, he's in the old number two that Brad Keselowski dominated in for so many years. Obviously, there's plenty of folks that are holdovers, so to speak, as far as that team. Oh yeah, and it's Team Penske, you know, still one of the elite teams, obviously, for NASCAR. You have to think that at some point that, you know, Austin Sendrick is going to get his way back into victory lane and we're going to finally start to see basically that him fulfilling that promise that he showed just in such an illustrious Xfinity series run. We obviously we know what kind of talent he has and, you know, we saw, you know, 
you alluded to it, how good he was in the Xfinity series, you know, how dominant he was and, you know, winning a, you know, winning a championship. I know that, you know, the talent is there. The team he's striving for is more than good enough. I mean, he's driving the two car, which, you know, in partnership with Brad Keselowski, won lots of races, won a championship. And we know Team, team Penske is one of the elite teams out there. I mean, heck, Joey Logano just took a Penske car to, to the championship last year. So there's, I mean, the, the equipment and everything, I believe, is is definitely there. I believe he's just going through, it seems like, uh, some growing pains uh, acclimating to the to the Cup Series right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I guess that's really the only thing you can say. It's what it seems like anyway. It's just, I guess it's just, it's a bit of a slower start than I was expecting for Austin Sendrick. And I think a lot of people feel yeah. that way because, you know, when you come in in your first start, at least running full-time anyway, you come in in your first start, you win in the Daytona 500, you know, it does set very, very high expectations. I remember even you and I last season, we thought basically that he was going to be off and running basically with that first win under his belt so soon. And really, by all accounts, didn't really have all that great of a season last year beyond the Daytona 500. I mean, it wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but definitely fell short of, I think, the early expectations that had been created. So we certainly, we tempered the expectations coming into this year. And, you know, I don't think that we thought he was going to be driving lights out. But I guess just a little bit surprised, though, just to see him not competing for wins at this point. Because, again, you know, as you said, you know, you're in that old number two, you know, that, that, See, you know, was always a fixture in victory lane multiple times in a season. You know, Brad Keselowski obviously drove that car to the championship in 2012. You know, just it, it seems like that at some point things have got to turn around for Austin Sendrick. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that at some point you may see him obviously, uh, you know, nipping at the heels, so to speak, of Chris Buescher and basically right on the outside looking in as far as the playoffs. But definitely does feel like at the same time that Sendrick does have his work cut out for him just based on what we've seen so far early in his Cup Series career. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, and a lot of drivers, and, and this goes with athletes and, and other sports as well, you know, go through what a lot of people call a sophomore slump. And I know he didn't have, you know, a stellar rookie year by any means, but obviously he won a race. So maybe it's a, a little bit of that as well. You know, I want to see some progress, obviously, because, you know, with with how good he was in Xfinity Series, you know, like you said, I definitely expect to see more and, and definitely, you know, want to see more from him you know but you know obviously you know have to obviously remind myself you know he's still really young still only in his second season and you know just some drivers you know it takes a bit longer I mean, it feels like some guys come in and just immediately from the word go start winning and winning a lot and uh it just seems like you know it may be taking him a little bit longer honestly a good example um i can't remember if it was his second or his third season Chase Elliott, when he came into the Cup Series, he didn't win a race until his second or third season. I'd have to go back and look at the specifics. But once he started winning, he started winning. So, uh, you know, there's there's been a, a, a recent example of a guy that has a championship now of uh, something similar happening. And, you know, it's just maybe a little bit of a slow start for him. Yeah, no, and that's that's a perfect example with Chase Elliott because, yeah, after he got that first win under his belt, he literally was off and running after that and has not slowed down ever since. Really, actually, the only thing that has slowed him down, obviously, is the injury that he's still obviously kind of 
I think he's still kind of not really getting his feet wet again, so to speak, but obviously I think he's still getting adjusted again to just the week-over-week schedule and uh, right. just all that. I'm sure we'll see Chase in victory lane at some point. But So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bit different, so to speak, I think, for Cindric because there has been the growing pains, like you said. It really just remains to be seen just how much longer, I guess, that it's going to take for him, you know, just to kind of shed that and be able to get back into victory lane because I feel like if he can get that second one under his belt, I don't know that he'll be off and running, so to speak, but I feel like that he'll be more consistent. Maybe that's the big thing, too, really when you think about it is just you know even outside of that one win with the daytona 500 we haven't really seen austin singer competing for wins and we rarely see him finish in the top five it seems like so even just going off that kind of stuff you know the signs just for whatever reason don't really seem to be there for him to you know just suddenly get back into victory lane which that's that i think maybe is the most surprising thing to me of all no i couldn't agree more yeah that's and then you know seeing him perform well at one of these you know intermediate type tracks will obviously be a true telltale sign as well, you know, to seeing how far they've come as well. So that that's something I want to see. Yeah, same here, and especially because the intermediates, obviously, they still make up the bulk of the schedule. So that right. be, that being said, I, I guess we had our state of Austin Cindric, so to speak, meeting on today's <laughs> speedcast. So uh, obviously, it remains to be seen what he does from here. But just putting a pretty bogue on the uh, just looking at some of the I almost said almost said superstars. I'm going into wrestling mode here. So, so retro mode and wrestling mode today, man, I'm all over the place. Oh, man. So anyways, <laughs> putting a pretty bow basically on our look at the drivers outside of the top 16, we have Michael McDowell. He's hanging around in 19th currently. Another youngster in Ty Gibbs who's sitting in 20th currently. Bit of a slow start for him so far in the 54, but feel like at some point he'll turn the heat up. And then you have Bubba Wallace sitting in 21st, and it hasn't been a bad year for Bubba Wallace. I know he's kind of hanging around, so to speak, where some people would expect him to hang around, but uh, I feel like 21st in the standings really isn't necessarily indicative of just how he's been this season, because I do feel like that Bubba Wallace so far has had more speed. He's just had some bad luck, obviously, with some of the crashes and such that he's been involved in, so... Bubba Wallace is another one that I think by the time the season's out, and I, I will say that I think before the playoffs start, I do think he's going to work his way into victory lane. I mean, we've seen him do it now on a non-super speedway last season, so uh, I think definitely there's things in place for him to do that, and uh, heck, just knowing that Tyler Reddick even has gotten in victory lane this season for 23-11 racing, it proves obviously that I think all of the fundamentals and just all of the building blocks are there. I think from here, it's just a matter of just, you know, I think as all the elite teams do, it's just a matter of just establishing that consistency and really just learning how or learning when to make the right moves at the right time, both on and off the track. Because sometimes it's timely pit stops. Sometimes it's uh, timely uh, making timely moves on track, timely passes, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes it's making timely moves, avoiding major crashes or getting yourself out of a trouble spot. So I feel like that things are coming together for Bubba Wallace, even despite where he's sitting in 21st right now. I agree, and the Talladega race this past weekend was a prime example of that. Now, granted, a lot of that was his own fault, mm-hmm. but, you know, you saw how good he was running, and, I mean, he had every chance in the world to win that race, and if he comes away with the win there, you know, this point situation is, is moot for him because he's in the playoffs, but obviously, you know, could as and would as and should as don't matter, <laughs> but just uh, just an example that they, they have, like you said, they have had speed and uh you know, they have been running better than what these points indicate. They just got to stay out of trouble. Yep, exactly. And, and just the last thing I'll say in regards to Bubba Wallace, I was expecting basically that when they, you know, were talking to him just when the crash was all said and done, I was kind of expecting him to be bitter and, you know, say whatever because, you know, he's sometimes he's not shy about, you know, pointing fingers or putting the blame on others or whatever. But I thought he had a pretty mature take just, uh, 
you know, pretty mature and just staying level headed and all that sort of stuff, knowing that, you know, he crashed out mm-hmm. in what could have been a race win for him. So, uh, you know, maybe just a sign of some, uh, some developing maturity for Bubba Wallace. And I think if he just continues to hold his head up high like that going forward, I think there's going to be no shortage of good things for him in the future. I completely agree. Yes. So now as we transition over to the Xfinity series standings, which we haven't looked at in a little while, Austin Hill is still leading the way right now with his three victories, uh, currently sitting at the top. Uh, John Hernemacek, who won uh, recently, uh, is sitting in second. He's the only other driver with multiple wins. He's currently sitting with two. Looking at the rest of the top five, Chandler Smith currently sitting in third with his one victory. Sammy Smith in fourth with the one victory. And Jeb Burton, who won at Talladega, sits in fifth with his one victory. And that is actually the end of the list of drivers, Xfinity regulars, that have a win this year. So a perfect five, so to speak, as far as your race winners this season. And uh, really, like I said earlier, timely win for Jeb Burton, because just look where he is as far as his total number of points. I mean, he's not having, oh, yeah. not having a terrible year, but the 229 points alone, that would not have been enough for him to be in the top 12. So definitely a, a huge victory for him as far as, again, vaulting him into this playoff picture. Definitely. And so outside of the top five, Riley Erbst, he sits in sixth currently, having a good year so far. And like we said before, he's been more consistent this season, so good to see him up here, I think, where he belongs. Because, again, just a uh, good driver, obviously, has a lot of potential, and uh, good to see him starting to fulfill some of that promise a little bit. Uh, Josh Berry, he sits in seventh currently in the standings. One of his teammates at Junior Motorsports, Justin Allgaier, sits in eighth. You have Cole Custer, who sits in ninth. So, uh, you know, it's a bit of a slow start for Cole Custer. First couple races, not really... uh, you know, not really showing enough speed or, you know, getting in crashes. Just it seems like whatever was going to go wrong for him was going wrong, but obviously has been better as of late. So, again, sits in ninth currently. Sheldon Creed having a decent year. He rounds out the top ten in the standings currently. And then looking at 11th currently, Daniel Hemrick. Uh, and then 12th, the last place in the uh, – currently that would be in the playoffs right now. And that's Parker Kligerman. Um, and as we look outside of the playoff bubble right now, Sam Mayer – 13, he is 10 points behind at the moment. Brandon Jones in 14th, he is 23 points back. And then Ryan Sieg will go down that far for him. He is uh, in 15th, he is 38 points back currently. So um, that's how the playoff standings look at as of this moment for the Xfinity Series. And I say it a lot of times, plenty of competition, but certainly so, just seeing those drivers down to 15th, that they're all, you know, basically all less than uh, 50 points behind as far as that cut line is concerned. So uh, I think there's going to be plenty of change, obviously, just in the standings here as the weeks go on, and uh, maybe some surprise winners that we'll see, because again, there's still plenty of room, obviously, for new winners this season. So, uh, you know, I think it's shaping up to be another exciting uh, season in the Xfinity series, judging by these points. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and Jeb Burton, you know, like you said, was below the top 12 and, you know, came away with the win, and, and obviously, you know, that, that vaulted him up. So very well could happen uh, yet again, you know, to, to see a driver that's currently below the top 12 come away with a victory. So definitely would be uh, be an interesting development, and obviously it would be a big shakeup as well. Oh, absolutely. The old leapfrog, as we like to call it. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Um, and then now we will look, even though they didn't run this past weekend, we haven't looked at it in a little while with our absence, uh, the truck series standings, the Craftsman truck series standings, as we sit currently, Zane Smith, uh, defending champion, he is actually the only driver with multiple wins this year, currently sitting at the top with two. Corey Heim, who just won uh, recently at Martinsville, 
sitting in second with his one victory. Christian Eckes in third with one victory. Carson Hosovar in fourth with one victory. And then rounding out the top five is Ty Majeski, um, actually below Carson Hosovar. That's where um, only through Carson Hosovar uh, do those drivers have wins. The rest are currently winless. And just such a difference there for fourth and fifth place because obviously, you got, like you just said, yes. Ty, Ty Majeski has not won this season, but far and away has been way more consistent than Carson Hosovar. Literally is doubling Hosovar as far as points are concerned. So, you know, I think this is this is literally the perfect example, just showing just how important race victories are in the grand scheme of things. And, and also really just highlights just how much Carson Hosovar has struggled this season because that's just an alarmingly low number of points for him, especially just him being a driver that, you know, I mean, I know he's still very young and he's still learning the ropes, so to speak, but, you know, even just being very young and just a very short career so far actually has shown that he's been pretty consistent for the most part at the Craftsman Truck Series level, but that has not translated into consistency this season for whatever reason. Uh, no, it has not at all, unfortunately. But that being said, outside of the top five, uh, former champion Ben Rhodes, he sits, he sits in sixth currently, excuse me. You have Grant Enfinger, who sits in seventh. Uh, former champion Matt Crafton, he sits in eighth currently. You have Tanner Gray, who sits in ninth. Certainly good to see for him. Definitely, uh, you know, a driver maybe isn't necessarily always going to make the playoffs or be in contention, but he's had a good year so far this year. And speaking of good years, uh, definitely good to see here one of our old favorites, Matt DiBenedetto. He currently rounds out the top 10, so definitely a bit more of a consistent season so far for him this season, obviously in year two of his truck series run. Um, so again, just good to see him where he's at right now, rounding out that top 10. Definitely is. Um, and then as we look below the cutoff currently, because it cuts off at 10 in trucks, uh, Chase Burdick sitting in 11th. He's 11 points behind. Um, Nicholas Sanchez is in 12th. He's actually the same number of points behind, so he's actually technically tied for 11th uh, with Purdy. And then in 13th is Stuart Friesen. Now, he is a total of 36 points behind. And then we'll go down one more to Haley Deegan, and she is 40, I believe I have the math right, 43 points behind, if I have that correct. Um, and that is the down through 14th currently in the standings. Yep, so there you go. And you could say a lot of the same things, I think, for the truck series, that there's going to be plenty of competition just through the rest of the season. But I think the big name that I've got my eye on is Nick Sanchez, because I can't remember what race it was that, you know, just recently in the last couple truck series races, but we had one where Nick Sanchez literally led all but only a few laps and somehow did not win that race. And you have to think that... I say it was Atlanta. Yeah, I think it was Atlanta, actually. So yeah. I, I feel like that that's going to be maybe something of an indicator, potentially, of what Nick Sanchez could bring to the table through the rest of the season but just where he's at right now obviously just you know tied for 11th right now you know barely on the outside looking in at 11 points down so uh, I think just you know just the season that Nick Sanchez has had so far this season I think he's opened some eyes wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to maybe see him get in victory lane or at the very least just accumulate enough points maybe to do some leapfrogging of his own so again the big driver I've got my eyes on right now absolutely yeah um so now it is actually time. We're going to go into our news and notes. Um, we have a couple sets of ratings. Uh, Darren, I'm going to let you take the Martinsville ratings from a couple weeks ago, and then I will take the Talladega ratings after that. Yep, sure thing. So the Cup Series, they were on FS1 last weekend at Martinsville. The race on Sunday averaged a 1.26 Nielsen rating and 2.218 million viewers. 
that is down fractionally from the 1.3 and 2.303 million viewers for Richmond earlier this month, which that, of course, was the first race that was on Fox Sports 1. But it was a year-over-year -year gain on Martinsville, which last season was a 1.1 and 1.885 million viewers in 2022. So I, I guess you'd have to look at this as a victory for NASCAR ratings-wise, because, again, they obviously improve on the ratings for Martinsville. And at the very least, they hold steady as far as just the overall viewership number, just again coming back to Fox Sports 1. So I guess just in a season that's been full of disappointments rating-wise so far this season, I'm not going to call this an outright victory, but at the very least, I think it's encouraging news that you know, I think just at the very least, again, for, for them, if they can hold steady right now, I think that's at least a building block to work off of. I know there's not a whole lot they can do as far as just, you know, ratings, at least besides any way of uh, doing more advertisement and such. But again, just at the very least, I think this is encouraging and just hopeful that maybe this is going to potentially turn into us hopefully seeing at least a couple gains this season because I never would have expected that we'd be, you know, nine races into the season, at least as of the Martinsville race, and that we hadn't seen a single race gain on last year. And yeah, I know it's 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 definitely a bit shocking for sure, and not something I expected to see. That's 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 for sure. Um, and then looking at the one other set of ratings from this past weekend at Mart or excuse me at Talladega, um, race it was on regular Fox this, this past weekend, uh, averaged a two point five eight Nielsen rating and a four point five five four million viewers. Um, that was actually down fractionally from last year's 2.61, 4.68 million viewers. Um, so very close to the same, but more than double the audience from last week at Martinsville on FS1. But of course, obviously that helps when it's not on the cable network. And it substantially bettered the 1.88 and 3.45 million viewers for the previous week's Bristol race, which was on regular Fox. So, um, Definitely, the Talladega race definitely seemed to draw in a lot more people than either the Bristol Dirt Race or the Martinsville race uh, did. Yeah, definitely so. And I think, uh, I, I mean, it goes without saying, obviously, Talladega, just one of the most high-profile tracks just on the schedule and certainly a crown jewel, obviously, for NASCAR. Um, so, I mean, I think that was to be expected that there was going to be a nice bump in the ratings. And again, at the very least, you know, relatively even for the most part compared to last year. So, I mean, that's a win in a sense. But uh I guess the only thing I can take away from it is that maybe to, maybe now, you know, because we're finally at the point where we're at least holding steady, maybe like the hardcore diehard followers are now dialed in finally and we're seeing them. Mm -hmm. And that maybe, you know, maybe like the, uh, I guess the Lawson fans, so to speak, that we were seeing, maybe that's just the casual ones having gone away after they tuned into the first seven races or so. So maybe there's that, yeah. maybe there's that hope that at least the diehard followers are totally dialed in now and, you know, they're going to be sticking along, obviously, through the rest of the season. But again, I'm just going to say I have to hope, though, that at some point here in these next couple of weeks, we at least see some sort of a gain because... Uh, I really thought based on what we were seeing last season with a couple of the, with the semi small gains that we were seeing most weeks last year, I really thought that we were going to continue to see some gains in the ratings this year, but for whatever reason it's kind of it's kind of been going backwards. So maybe was it maybe a two steps forward uh or I'm sorry, one step forward, two steps back kind of situation? I I really don't know, but uh I just don't really know what else NASCAR can do outside of maybe more advertisement or whatever, because we've said it a million times, Jeremy, but I think the quality of the racing is just fine. So I don't think they're getting that wrong at the very least. No, I agree with you. Yeah, it definitely. I don't think they're getting that wrong either. It's just, uh, you know, it's just, it feels like for the last couple of years, we saw the ratings increase, increase, increase. And now we're, you know, saw a decrease pretty much every week. And then, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, been kind of, 
pretty much steady, you know, the fractional decrease. But I mean, I, I call that kind of a, a push, if you will. Um, so we'll see how it goes, you know, how it progresses going forward, um, you know, from here. And hopefully we, we start to see some gains. But, you know, that, that, that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm, definitely. I will say one thing, though, just, like I was doing some looking earlier just out of curiosity. Like, obviously, the NHL playoffs, they're going on right now. So a lot of folks are tuned into that. You know, and you would say, I think at this point, just based on like social media coverage and just word of mouth as a whole, you know, I think a lot of people would almost assume that the NHL is more popular than NASCAR at this point, which I think would be a reasonably fair assumption. However, I found this very interesting. Some of these ratings that we've seen so far for, say, like ESPN games for uh, the NHL so far, would you believe me if I told you, Jeremy, that some of those, uh, like some of those uh, games so far that we've seen in the playoffs on the ESPN cable network, they've actually been coming in at below 1 million viewers. Um, and that's actually wow. and that's actually considered good ratings right now for the NHL, again, just being on a cable platform for the playoffs. So at the very least, I wanted to point that out, not to obviously throw any disrespect towards the NHL, but I at least wanted to throw that out there for a perspective kind of thing that, you know, for maybe all of the doom and gloom that a lot of people shed on NASCAR with the ratings, I mean, at least when you're getting things on Fox Sports 1 that are, say, along the lines of 1.3 and such, in some cases almost doubling what you're seeing, you know, for the NHL cable ratings, again, when it's considered by a lot of people that NHL is more popular, maybe NASCAR isn't doing as bad as we may necessarily think. So I at least wanted to throw that out there for comparison point, just for, you know, some of the listeners that they might be uh, very, very concerned just with the, you know, just with the way basically of these year over year comparisons are going. No, that's a great point. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely. So now looking further on, uh, a couple more things, uh, news and notes. The next one is the points reduction uh, with Colleg Racing. Um, we had a situation where they were actually getting uh, penalized. Uh, the, the team of Justin Haley was getting penalized. Well, like the Hendrick Motorsport situation, the points penalty has been rescinded for Colleg Racing as well. And, and you know, I think... Uh perfect decision because you know it was one of those things that just through all the deliberations and all that sort of stuff you know we saw the the penalties for the points being rescinded for hendrick motorsports and then what was it jeremy something like two or three weeks go by and nothing was changing for colleague racing and i you know I, I think a lot of people rightfully so were asking that question well why does hendrick motorsports get their penalty you know or get their points restored but colleague racing doesn't um you know right and, and and obviously like i didn't feel bitter or slighted so to speak because you know it's, it's like I don't really have any stake in the game, I think, as far as being a major fan of either Hendrick Motorsports or Colleague Racing. But I just I felt like it was just not equal. Let's put it that way. It's like, why does again, yeah. why, why does one team get the uh, the restoration? The other one doesn't. Um, so, you know, again, I, th- I think just overall, as far as fairness is concerned, I think this was the right decision to make. I just hope, Jeremy, I guess if I'm going to put any sort of humor towards this, I really hope that going forward, as far as any of these situations with penalties, appeals, all of that sort of stuff, I really hope that the situations just don't continue to be convoluted like they have been, because this one is actually, this one admittedly has been hard to follow here over the last three weeks or so, just trying to keep everything straight of what penalties apply. Have they been pulled back? Have they not been pulled back? You know, who's keeping the penalties? Who's not keeping them? Just been very strange, I think, the way this has all been handled. No, it really has, yeah, and it's been a really wild start to the season, and yeah, with a lot of different things moving around between, you know, the penalties and then, you know, driver injuries, which will kind of segue us to our last and and final piece of news and notes with 
you know, obviously we, we've talked about, you know, Chase Elliott return this coming weekend at Dover will be his third race back from entry. And Josh Berry filled in for him during those six weeks that he was out and did, and did an admirable job Had a, had some good finishes mixed in there. Well, Alex Bowman, uh, is now the latest, uh, to fall in line, uh, suffering an injury off track and will miss the next at least three races. And Josh Berry, We'll fill in for yet another Hendrick Motorsports driver starting this weekend in Dover. And, and I guess that's the thing, that sometimes it's like a double-edged sword, I guess. And what I mean by that is that I know that Rick Hendrick, you know, he's gotten a bit more loose over the years with letting his drivers compete in non-NASCAR events. So, I mean, I think that's great, and I think it's awesome that he's giving the drivers that freedom and flexibility to do that. It's just unfortunate that something like this occurs where, you know, Bowman gets in the horrific crash that ends up breaking one of his vertebrae, or officially was called a compression fracture in his back after his car flipped. And it's just unfortunate because we saw where Bowman was in the standings earlier. Yeah, he's solidly in the top 16, and he has had a good start, I think, overall as far as general consistency is concerned. But, you know, just think about where Chase Elliott is after having missed the races that he has missed this season. I think uh, we didn't talk about it earlier, but I, I was looking just, uh, I think, even before we started recording, Chase Elliott is somewhere around 30th or below in the standings. So that just shows you right there just how many potential points he's missed out on this season and how much he's really been hurt by that you have to figure yeah. that it's going to be the same thing for Alex Bowman. Now, we know, obviously, the playoff waivers, you know, certainly, obviously, that's all going to be taken into consideration. I think there's going to be no reason for that Alex Bowman wouldn't get that playoff waiver. But just at the very least, you know, it's uh, it's a loss of chances to win races, which, if nothing else, again, that's going to hurt yeah. Alex Bowman going forward. Absolutely, yeah. So, but I'll tell you what, and, and, and you know, the positive side to this, and like I said, it's unfortunate for, for Bowman and, of course, Elliot before that. But Josh Berry, man, he is getting a heck of a lot of really valuable experience with a really, really good team. And uh, mm -hmm. that is just going to help him in a huge way in his future. And, you know, because I, I, I would expect one day him to be in the Cup Series. I mean, this is just a huge kind of you know, kind of trial run for him. Oh, absolutely. I could not agree more with that. You know, that, that and that, like you just said, that literally is, I think, the whole silver, or the only silver lining, basically, of this whole situation, not only with Alex Bowman, but of Chase Elliott as well. You know, obviously, where there, where there needs to be fill-ins, there's going to be opportunities there. And it is basically an opportunity for Josh Berry just to show all of NASCAR, all of the owners, basically, what he's made of. Thing is, we already know what he's made of, obviously, at the Xfinity Series level, because I think he's knocked it out of the park with Junior Motorsports since he's joined that organization. Yeah. So I think if there's, if there's one way to look at this, I think, for Josh Berry is that, you know... It, 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 I was going to say a moment ago that it was something of a cool irony with numbers there, but at the very least, you know, number nine was a semi-familiar number at Junior Motorsports, even if it was driven with by uh, Noah Gregson. So, hey, you know, maybe there was something of a synergy there with Josh Berry driving the number nine for uh, Chase Elliott. You know, all kidding aside, though, with numbers there, you know, he did he did rather well, I think, in the number nine. I think he certainly can do well in the 48. Like you said, the big thing is, you know, he's getting that chance to get that experience on one of the most elite teams. What if Josh Berry was somehow in these next couple races? Uh, I mean, I, I think he very well has a good chance of getting a top 10 or a top 5. What if he were to somehow win one of those races? Now, that would definitely, oh. that would be quite a situation to think about, and uh, I know it's not going to change anything as far as the driver lineup at Hendrick, but you have to think that that would open up the eyes of some of these owners that much more. And what kind of endorsement is this from Rick Hendrick, Jeff Gordon over there at Hendrick Motorsports? Oh, yes, yep. To that, to that, for for Josh Berry to be their guy to go for in these situations. I mean, it. it I mean, it, it's almost like you know, 
see, it almost feels like he is their number five driver and they have a four car team. I mean, it's, you know, it, it feels like he is in a way would be the next man up if they had a, if they, you know, had a spot for him because he, he is, you know, that they, they haven't been, you know, mixing it up and letting other, you know, drivers fill in except for the one road course where they uh, had the road course ringer fill in for chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Berry is, you know, drove, drove all those. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome to see. And like I said, just shows you that uh, the Andrew Motorsports uh, camp up there at the top uh, must think a lot of him to, to bring him on and, uh, you know, having fill in like this. Absolutely. So I agree with you 100% that I think it's a heck of an endorsement, and I think it would go a long way, obviously, towards just giving him that much more name value, I think, just for the future, especially in the eyes of other owners or other teams that maybe might be looking for another driver at some point, or just you never know, maybe if some contract stuff goes sideways, you never know if there might be an opening at Hendrick Motorsports. So, you know, obviously I think their stable is going to be certainly well taken care of for the next many years, but there's always that slight possibility that, again, something goes sideways. So you just never know. Maybe Josh Berry might yep. get a permanent opportunity with the team going forward if certain things happen. Well, at this point, we will uh, start going into our previews, and we do have an IndyCar race this weekend at Barber Motorsports Park. So we will start there, and uh, starting at the top of the list, uh, Alex Pelot who in two starts here, very limited sample size, but in those two starts, he has one victory and is finished in the top five and top 10, both starts uh, here and average finish of 1.5. So pretty, uh, pretty impressive. I'd say so. Lights out in the two starts so far. So uh, in a season where we're waiting for him to get back into victory lane, (laughs) kind of seems like this might be a tailor-made situation for him. And next on the list, uh, I guess I'll call it a tailor-made situation considering that uh, Scott Dixon has literally done everything but win at Barber Motorsports Park. (laughs) In 12 starts at this track, like I just said, has never won here, but get this, 10 times he's finished in the top five. All 12 of the starts, he's finished in the top 10. And the average finish, 3.5. So I know I just said it a minute ago. I'm going to sound like a broken record. Literally, the only thing Scott Dixon has never done here is actually win the race. So uh, there it is. It's tailor-made for him, I think. Yeah, I mean, goodness, how can you be this good at a track and not slip into a win just once? <laughs> Especially in all the amount of starts he's had. I mean, 12 years worth. Yeah. It's 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 pretty wild. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see if he can finally come through as good of a driver as he is arguably. You know, he's up there with the, the best of all time for sure. You know, if he's able to get it done because that that is that is so wild to see. That much dominance, but without a win in your in your back pocket. <laughs> it, it's almost it's almost a one of those things that you wonder if you're somebody who believes in good luck charms and whatnot. Does he need to tie his shoes differently? Does he need to do a different pre race routine, right. or does he do everything exactly the same to at least guarantee that you know another good run? So I don't know. It's I guess if you're somebody with omens, you almost don't know what to do in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, next guy on the list, Remus VK. Only two starts, just like Polo. Uh, no victories, but does have one top five to go with two top tens. Average finish for him of 4.5. You know, it's been a slow start for Remus VK this season, So, because I was expecting he was going to be a little bit better out of the gate, and I'm a little bit surprised that he hasn't. So maybe this represents a chance for him to get his season on track, so we'll just have to wait and see. Next behind Remus VK, we have defending champion Will Power, that being the defending IndyCar Series champion. Also has 12 starts like Scott Dixon, so basically uh, these two, uh, you know, two of several elder statesmen basically in the field. Will Power in the 12 starts, he is a two-time winner at this track. 
Nine times has finished in the top five, so that accounts for his nine top tens as well, and also good average finish 6.3. I know it hasn't been per se a quiet start for Will Power, but a little bit quieter than we would have thought. I would have expected him to have already been in victory lane at this point, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So it, he maybe he could be primed up potentially, just having been a former two-time winner here. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Pat Ward's the next guy on the list. Uh, only three starts here, but has a victory in those three starts and uh, two top fives to go with two top tens, average finish of an even seven. And behind Padua Ward, we have Simon Paginode. And, you know, it's something just thinking about him really quick because, you know, we're now one season and three or four races, whatever it's been, into his run at Meyer Shank Racing. I really thought at some point, Jeremy, that, you know, that he was going to establish some consistency and elevate this team. But for whatever reason, it just has not happened yet. So, and, and I, yeah. don't, I don't know if it will happen. That's obviously not to show any disrespect towards Simon Paginode. It's just been a shame to see, obviously, just considering how great he was at Team Penske. It, you know, and really that that's proven basically by these numbers at Barber Motorsports Park. In 11 previous starts at this track, he was a one-time winner, four times finished in the top five, nine times finishing in the top ten, and also had that same average finish as Pato Award, that being seventh. Just have to figure, though, with how uh, Paginot has struggled at Meyershank Racing, can't necessarily guarantee, though, that it's going to be along the same lines in the race on Sunday. No, agreed. Absolutely. Um the next guy on the list is uh, the leading uh, winner here at this track, uh, and that's Joseph Newgarden. Ten starts here, three victories to go with five top fives and seven top tens. So maybe not as much consistency, but a three-time winner here. Average finish for him of 8.1. And he already has won once this season, so you know he's going to be out for blood looking for that next one. Could be a great yeah. situation for him to get it done this weekend. Could also be a great situation for Romain Grosjean. He comes into this race only having started twice at Barber Motorsports Park. In the two starts, not a whole ton to show for it, but at the very least, two top tens. His average finish in the two races, 8.5, so not bad whatsoever. Then Halo Castro-Nevis, the next guy on the list, nine starts here, has one victory with four top fives and six top tens. Average finish for him of 8.9. And then behind Castro Neves, we have Marcus Erickson, three times having run at this track. Kind of a mixed bag a little bit, I guess you could say. He's never won here, never finished in the top five, but does have two top tens, and his average finish here, a solid nine. Alexander Rossi right behind him has six starts here. Doesn't have a victory to his credit here. Has two top fives, four top tens, and like Erickson, his average finish is an even ninth. And then from there, we jump to Scott McLaughlin. Two starts at this track, and so obviously a very small sample size. And I'll just say mixed bag again. Has never won here, obviously. Has never finished in the top five, but does have one top ten. And ironically, his average finish at this track, an even tenth. And then the next guy on the list, Graham Rahal, has 12 starts here. No victories to his credit. Three top fives to go with six top tens. Average finish for him of 11.6. And from there, we're getting away from uh, notables. Um, I guess the next one that we'll cover, just going down a little bit further on the list, uh, we have Felix Rosenquist. Three previous starts at this track, no victories, no top fives. Does have one top ten to his credit, but the average finish dips down pretty far. Fifth, or excuse me, fifteen point seven. So uh, definitely a good little ways from where we were just at. Absolutely, yeah. And the next guy uh, below that, I believe, will be Connor Daly. Um, and four starts here, nothing to show for it, no no statistical uh, success, average finish for him of 18.3. And it's interesting because right below Connor Daly, I was not expecting this, you have Colton Herta this far down on the yeah. list. 
Uh, three starts at this track, no wins, no top fives. Granted, he does have one top ten, but actually a worse average finish than Connor Daly, 18.7. So I'm going to state the obvious here, but needless to say, Colton Herta, he definitely struggles here, and ugh, it's it's been a bit of a slow start this season for him. So uh, I'm very curious to see how he mm-hmm. does in the race this weekend. Oh, agreed. Yeah, and then we're going to finish off our preview with uh, the last driver here, and that being last or the previous race, Winner, uh, Kyle Kirkwood, only one start here, so hard to judge. Just like I said, it is only one start at this track that he's had. Finished 22nd in that race that he started, so um, not obviously how he was looking to get started here, but, you know, can atone for that this week and is coming off of, like, you know, like we talked about, you know, a win and seemed to be, you know, getting some momentum. Yep, certainly. And, the, you know, the thing is, the Long Beach Street course, I mean, it's definitely a challenging course. It's tough to win there. And just so that's why I think it just it says so much just about how much of a statement the win was for Kyle Kirkwood. And again, just driving for Andretti Autosport, he has that much more speed. I'm not going to predict that he'll win this race per se, but uh, I certainly think he has a very, very good chance of finishing better than 22nd. Put it this way, I'd be very surprised if he finished down that far again in this one because, again, just he, sh- he showed just so much, basically, of what he's made of at Long Beach. And I feel like just, I think just that momentum and I think most importantly the confidence I think that he can bring to this race and other road course races, I think the sky's the limit for him. It's just, it's basically just up to him, basically, as, as you know, just as far as how far he wants to go, really, for lack of a better term. No, you're 100% right, yeah. So it's, we got a fun-filled, uh, big weekend of, of racing, you know, coming up, you know, between the Indy race at Barber Motorsports Park and then, of course, NASCAR at Dover. And uh, we'll jump right into that preview now. And the top of the list, as far as um, average finishes, we're going to start off with Hendrick driver Kyle Larson. In 14 starts, has one victory here with seven top fives, 11 top tens, and an average finish of a really strong 6.9. Yeah, so you have to think that after the recent win at Martinsville, might he be able to turn right around and, uh, you know, win this one? I mean, I know it wouldn't be back-to-back wins because he didn't win at Talladega, but, you know, just after a recent win on a smaller track, I know Dover's a little bit bigger, but you have to figure that just, uh, again, momentum's a real thing on similar track formats, so that has me thinking that Kyle Larson could have a very, very good chance in this one. But the thing is, not so fast, as an old old friend of ours, Lee (laughs) Corso, used to say. Because right behind Kyle Larson, you have one of his teammates at Hendrick Motorsports, Chase Elliott. Again, we know that Chase, obviously, he's still uh, getting reacclimated, so to speak, after the injury. But he has history on his side at Dover. Twelve previous starts, and in those 12 starts, two victories, nine top five. So nine out of 12 races finishing in the top five. Pretty darn good. The, uh, the nine top fives, they also account for his nine top tens. And his average finish, a pretty good 9.8. So you have to think Chase Elliott... You know, he's going to be nipping at Kyle Larson's heels. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, this is a prime spot for, for obviously, we still haven't got any kind of confirmation about the, the waiver. I mean, I, I don't have any doubt that that's going to go through, just like I don't have any doubt that Bowman will get his as well. But, you know, this is a prime spot for him to go ahead and get that one win out of the way and then, you know, worry about multiple after that. But, I mean, a track that he's this good at, I mean, this is a really good spot for him to get that done. Yeah, and I think it's a moment that he needs to go ahead and seize because, like you, I, yep. I'm, I'm certainly confident that he's going to get that waiver. I'm actually a little bit surprised we haven't heard anything about it, so I'm I'm kind of curious as to what's going on with that. But, you know, all of that aside, though, it's, a, it's an opportunity that Chase Elliott, I think, needs to seize because uh, – 
Yeah, I think he'll definitely get into victory lane multiple times by the time the season's over. But I think just the the longer that it goes on, the more pressure that builds up, and that being just the more time that he doesn't win. So that's why I think just the yep. time is now, and I think Chase Elliott just needs to go ahead and strike while the iron's hot. Absolutely, yes, agreed. Um, and then the next driver on the list, we're going to jump down to Martin Truex Jr. In 32 starts at this track, has three victories to his credit. It feels like he's at one in forever, but he's won here <laughs> three times. Um, Nine top fives, 18 top tens, and 11.8 is his average finish. So a track he's been historically good at, and it's been so long since he's won. So uh, this would be the right. perfect time for him to get back into victory lane, needless to say. And you could also say the same for Kevin Harvick, who's next on our list. And just looking quick, uh, yeah, Kevin Harvick has the most starts out of any active driver on this list, that being 42 starts, and he's also a three-time winner at Dover. The stats differ a little bit, though, between him and Truex because Harvick does have 10 top fives, 23 top tens, average finish relatively similar, though 12.9. So, again, been a little while since Kevin Harvick won, so you have to think that uh, maybe not a tailor-made situation, but I think definitely an opportunity for him. It's just up to him, I think, and the team, really, just of seeing if they can pull this thing off and get him back into victory lane. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, next driver on the list, Brad Keselowski. Um, these stats are from his time at uh, Penske Racing, but in 24 starts, has one victory here in five top fives with 10 top tens, and an average finish for him of 13.1. I like that you worked the disclaimer in there, and I think that was uh, <laughs> certainly very, very, certainly very good to mention it. But, uh, you know, really, I wouldn't be surprised just with how much better he's been this season at RFK. I actually wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he was somewhere around that average finish of 13.1 or maybe better. So, you know, it could be a good opportunity for Brad Keselowski, definitely. Absolutely. And we'll say a good opportunity, too, for Daniel Suarez because he's next on the list with 10 starts at Dover. He's not a former winner here, but does have one top five to his credit. But most importantly, five top tens, so literally 50% of the races finishing in the top 10, and a good average finish of 13.3. Obviously, some ground to make up in the point standings. So, again, I think it's a good opportunity for Daniel Suarez to do just that. Oh, 100%. Um bit of a slower start for Trackhouse Racing this year uh, you know, than last year. Doesn't mean they're running bad or anything, but you know, just not not the start, not the hot start that we saw like from Chastain and then and, and even Suarez at times last year. Uh, so just a bit of a, a slower start this year from what it seems. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, next guy on the list, Eric Jones. Uh, in 10 starts here. Doesn't have a victory, but one top five to go with three top tens. Average finish for Jones of 13.6. And then right behind Eric Jones, you have Joey Logano. 26 starts at Dover. Surprisingly, has never won here. That actually uh, kind of shocks yeah. me a little bit, just considering that Joey has seemingly won almost everywhere at this point in his career. But again, Dover's not one of those places. So no victories at this track. Only five times as he finished in the top five here. But he's been pretty good otherwise. 15 times finishing in the top 10 and a pretty decent average finish, that being 13.8. Absolutely. Um, William Byron, the next guy on the list, eight starts here, no victories to speak of, two top fives, three top tens, an average finish of an even 14. And ironically, right behind Byron, you have a driver with the exact same average finish. That's Kyle Busch. 34 starts at Dover is a three-time winner at this track, 13 top fives, 21 top tens, and as I just alluded to, the average finish of 14th. Might this be the situation where we see a back-to-back because Kyle Busch, it seems to be lined right up for him in this case. Absolutely, yeah, and he definitely seems like he's back to his old self and running extremely well, already won twice this year, and, you know, what was it, last year, I believe, you know, the only win he got or 
uh, for most of the year was that Bristol dirt race win um, that, you know, just seemed like an outlier because of the, the uniqueness of that race. Well, this year, you know, it's been a totally different situation. He's won at a super speedway and he's won at intermediate. So he definitely looks like he's back to, to his old form and uh, back to being a championship contender. So wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to see him being a contender this week as well. Yeah, same here, certainly. And uh, just to just to mention very quickly, you were correct, actually, that uh, that Bristol dirt race was the only win that he had last season. So yeah. I think just knowing that he's already eclipsed that, I think uh, I think that's just further proof, basically, of uh, or just further contribution, so to speak, of just how relaxed Kyle's feeling right now. Yes, absolutely. Um, next guy on the list is Denny Hamlin, uh, 32 starts here. Has one victory to his credit, six top fives, 14 top tens, average finish of 16.4. Kind of surprising to see an average finish that low being a former winner here, but, you know, sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, we'll cover Eric Almirola next because he has a pretty big sample size here. 19 starts at Dover, is not a former winner here, actually only has two top fives to his credit, only four top tens, yet the average finish is not that much lower than Denny Hamlin, 17.1, so just interesting how that works. Oh, I know. That is really bizarre. Um, Reddick, only four starts here. Not too much to show for it. Zero, like I said, no wins. Doesn't have the, doesn't have a top five, has one top ten, and an average finish of 17.3. And then after Tyler Reddick, well, it would have been Alex Bowman, but of course he's not going to be in this race because of the injury. Um, at the very least, have to mention that Alex Bowman had won once in 12 previous starts, so... Needless to say, I think a missed opportunity for him missing this one because very well would have been a chance yeah. to get back into victory lane. Um, we actually have to jump down a couple places. Um, so we get down to Christopher Bell, who's next on the list. It's a pretty small sample size, and just when it's all said and done, I think he's going to eclipse this career average. But in four starts at Dover, Christopher Bell, he's not a former winner here, does have one top five to his credit. That also counts for his one top ten. Average finish 18.5, but based on what we've been seeing so far with him this season, how consistent he's been, I think he's going to eclipse that 18.5 average. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree 100% with how he's running. Um, Dylan um, hasn't been running that well this year. Uh, in 17 starts, doesn't have a victory, doesn't have a top five, or excuse me, yeah, doesn't have a top five, has three top tens at this track. Average finish of a pretty, you know, middle of the road, 19.3. So it's like a bad situation just getting worse when you're coming into a track that you struggle at. And I've been surprised, really, with how just how much Austin Dillon has struggled this season. I really thought he was going to be better just with Kyle yeah. Bush coming in and just the team getting elevated. But just has not happened for him and the number three for whatever reason. Next on the list, we have Ryan Blaney. And in the midst of, you know, we've said it before, in the midst of also a very long winless drought, it may very well continue, but by the time it's all said and done at Dover, because Ryan Blaney has never won at Dover in 12 starts. Even beyond that, surprisingly, has never finished in the top five, has only finished in the top 10 twice here, and the average finish dips down a little bit further to 19.5, one of the few tracks that Ryan Blaney seems to outright struggle at on the Cup Series schedule. Yeah, in a big way. Um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., the next guy on the list, 19 starts here. Uh, does not have a victory, one top five and four top tens to his credit, and an average finish of 19.6. And then behind Stenhouse, we're going to cover Chris Buescher, because, of course, a playoff driver at this point as they sit in the standings. In 12 prior starts at Dover, Chris Buescher, not a whole lot to, to write home about. No victories, no top fives, 
Granted, has finished in the top 10 once, but his average finish, it dips a little bit further, 21.1, and certainly not good, just considering that, you know, obviously he's going to need all the points he can get to maintain where he is in the point standings. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, bro. Bubba Wallace um, would be a bit better in the point standings without his wreck this past week in Talladega. Uh, in eight starts here, just downright struggles at this track. Nothing at all to show for it. Not a top five, not a top ten, and an average finish of 21.3. And the next driver we'll cover uh, certainly one that has a pretty pretty large amount of experience here, and obviously we know he's running full-time this season with Colleague Racing. That's A.J. Allmendinger. 23 previous starts at Dover, no wins, no top fives. Granted three top tens, but the average finish 23.3. Just kind of have to mention him again, not only because of the experience, but just that uh, Colleague Racing, it's still a developing program. Um have to think that we're going to continue to see more as time goes on, certainly, for them. So, I don't know. I'll be keeping an eye on Almondinger, just seeing, you know, if he can, uh, you know, maybe if he can turn this into a pretty decent run and really start to get things uh, just advancing a bit further for Colleague Racing, again, at the Cup Series level. Absolutely. Um, next guy on the list, is, uh, I'll go to Ryan Priest here. You know, there's nothing really much to show for it, but him being back to full-time in the 41. And six starts here, again, nothing to show for it. Um, and an average finish for him of 23.5. Land, I think it is important to cover Ryan Priest because, you know, just like you said, being in the 41 at Stuart Haas Racing, but I, I, I don't find it ironic that he's been making an awful lot of noise here in the last couple of weeks for a driver that, you know, hasn't been doing so good as far as finishes because we remember the dust-up that he had at Bristol with Kyle Larson, um, you know, obviously the huge wreck that those two had that was purely coincidental at Talladega. So again, you know, Ryan Priest yeah. uh, m making noise for all of the wrong reasons, and you'd have to think at some point that uh, him and the old boss, Tony Stewart, they're going to be hoping to, uh, you know, hoping to get some better results here sooner rather than later. Oh, yeah, you would definitely hope so. And I remember him saying after the race that that wreck he was in was pretty much like one of the hardest ones he's ever mm -hmm. been in. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty violent wreck for sure. And I just thought that was something that it was him and Larson after their recent dust up because, you know, obviously there was no way whatsoever that at such a high speed that that would have been, you know, that that would have been premeditated or anything like that. So you have to think that right. even amidst like the whole rivalry or the troubles they had at Bristol or just whatever, you know, all of the arguing and the bickering or whatever, you have to think that at the end of the day that, you know, Ryan certainly felt bad that that happened because I think even, even when you're in a situation where, you know, a driver that you're you're not fond of and that, you know, you have your disagreements and you just don't see eye to eye. Never would you hope, obviously, for something like that. So, uh, again, right. just, just when it's all said and done, glad that both drivers are okay because, man, have, have not seen a hit that hard in quite some time at the Cup Series level. Whew. Yeah, that was that was definitely really violent. So, yeah, the safety on these cars clearly is working for the, you know, for a, a hit that hard and they're able to walk away. So that's definitely encouraging. Yeah, absolutely so. And staying in the realm of Stuart Haas Racing, we actually have Chase Briscoe next on the list, and it's an even smaller sample size for him at Dover. Only two starts here and really nothing to show for it. No wins, no top fives or top tens, and his average finish at this track, 24th, and certainly not good news when you're sitting in 15th in the standings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um been down to Ross Sustain, and he's been running, like, points-wise, he, he's been you know pretty consistent, just doesn't have a win yet. And in eight starts at this track, um, I don't have a whole lot of optimism that he'll be able to do that this weekend either. Um, doesn't have a win, obviously, in the eight starts. One top five to go with one top ten, and an average finish for him of 25.3. And I don't, I don't really remember off the top of my head him being all that great at Dover last season, so I'm kind of with you that I don't necessarily have a whole ton of optimism, but we'll just have to wait and see. I was going to make a joke there about the Hail Mellon move, but we know that that's outlawed, so... 
that does not right. come into play, ladies and gentlemen, at a track like this anymore. <laughs> right. And that being said, I mean, you know, we're pretty low as far as uh, notables, but I do see one more that we can cover, and that's one of the drivers we talked about on the outside looking in as far as the point standings, and that's Michael McDowell. And there's not a whole lot to mention with him. I mean, again, I think the only major thing is just uh, the large sample size. 20, 22 starts at Dover, but in the 20, excuse me, in the 22 starts, pretty much nothing to show for it. Um, it goes without saying that with an average finish of 31st, you haven't really done that well in the races. And that's evidenced by the fact that he's never finished in the top five or the top 10. So unfortunately, there you have right. it for him. No, yeah, you're right. Um, so that'll that'll actually do it for our uh previews and uh you know it definitely feels good to be back in the back in the swing of things for sure um so at this point we'll definitely uh look into our picks and for the first time in a long time i get to put you on the spot this is uh not something that we've done in a while because you've been hosting and so you've been putting me on the spot so with that being said putting you on the spot who do you have winning um i guess we'll do for indycar as well but who do you have winning both the IndyCar race and the Cup race this coming weekend? Yeah, sure. So let's see what I can conjure up here. And I will say also for the astute listeners, obviously, if they had not noticed the difference yet, yep, this is the first time we've had Jeremy hosting in quite some time. And might I say, Jeremy, you have not missed a beat whatsoever. Um, hey, kind of, once I got into the flow of it, I was worried before, ladies and gentlemen, that, you know, that I thought, you know, I'm a little rusty, you know, whatnot. I mean, once, once we started going, though, it was like, you know, no, no big deal, pretty much. <laughs> and, and ladies and gentlemen, and a little, a little bit of a peek behind the scenes, so to speak. This guy does it literally with no notes in front of him. I mean, obviously, we use sources with our data, with the charts and all that for the average finishes. This right. guy, this guy though, does it with no notes in front of him, no cue cards, <laughs> no none of that or whatever. I don't know uh, how he, I don't know how he does it because me, I have to have like a flow of notes and all that sort of stuff. So, like I said, Jeremy, you haven't missed a beat whatsoever, and. You know, quite frankly, I think you own it. I mean, I, I I feel better with hosting than I used to, but just, I mean, you're still miles better at it than I am. So uh, just just appreciate you being willing to uh, take it up again and uh, for us to start doing yeah. it just every other week again on a rotational basis. Absolutely. So maybe I was doing one of my classic stalls there, trying to figure out uh, trying to <laughs> trying to figure out who I'm gonna who I'm gonna pick for these two races, but. You know, it, it's tough to say because it's like for the IndyCar race, I don't necessarily have a gut feeling. So, I mean, it is going to be purely based off of stats. I could take the lowest of low-hanging fruits, but, you know, I'm not going to do that because, yeah, I know I know that Alex Pelot is a former winner in the two starts, but I just, I don't know. I, I still think with that whole situation with him with Ganassi and all that, I, I just feel like that's going to continue to be a distraction even though they came to that agreement for him to race one more season with the team. So... You know what? I think I'm going. I'm going to take a driver who's a tiny bit further down the list, but he is a former winner in three previous starts, and obviously, you know, he wins plenty in in IndyCar. So I think it's just a matter of time before he wins this season. I'm going to say that Pato Award gets it done in this one. I think it's time for him to get back into victory lane, and I think he's going to do that at uh, Barber Motorsports Park. Okay, good. Yeah. And as far as the Cup Series race, um. You know, I've been deliberating about this one a little bit. I'm, I'm going to go based off stats on this one again, though. I mean, I've had a couple different gut feelings in this one. So, mm, you know what? Here it is. I guess it is going to be based a little bit, little bit off of gut feeling, but also based off stats, too. I'm just going to come out and say it. You know, I know it's, you know, obviously he's still getting back going after the leg injury, but I think it's time for Chase Elliott to get into victory lane. And I just think having won twice at Dover just in the previous 12 starts, I think that's going to be enough of a good omen for him. 
But also, again, it's just a gut feeling. Chase Elliott's just too good. He's too talented. We said earlier, obviously, that once he got that first win under his belt, you know, way back in the day, several seasons ago, he was off and running. So, I mean, yeah, I know it's been a bit of a, uh, not really a slow return for him, so to speak, but, you know, just been a little bit kind of getting used to things again, just, you know, and I I said it before, I kind of laid out the case that, you know, even if he felt 100% with the leg and all that, there would still be a bit of an adjustment period for him coming back just after, you know, having missed a month and a half or whatever it was. So that's a long, that's a long winded way of saying that I think Chase Elliott, I think you're slowly seeing him getting his stride back. And I think that's going to result in him winning this race. So that's who I'm picking for this one. Yeah, and I like I said, and this is a perfect opportunity for him to to do that. So I definitely love love the feeling, and definitely one I considered as well. Going to the IndyCar race, though, uh, a guy I feel you know, he just runs too good here. It's like it's it's surely it's a matter of time. Scott Dixon, I think, is going to get it done. I mean, it's I mean, goodness, how good do you have to run at a track? You know, Twelve starts without getting a victory. So I mean, surely. It's got to eventually happen, so I'm, I'm going to say it happens this weekend, and and hopefully we get to hopefully I get to say I'm right because um, like I said, it's it's that consistency and to not have a win yet, it's just just pretty bizarre. I mean, you know, never a DNF at this track. Literally has been in the top ten yeah. at every start. I mean, and I know I said it earlier, but done everything but one here. So I think it's a very solid pick, Jeremy. And really, it's just up to Scott Dixon at this point because he's shown that he obviously. I mean, we know the talents there. There's no question about that. But he show he has shown that he more than has enough wherewithal at this track. It's just a matter, literally, of just doing that last little bit just to get himself into victory lane. So again, I think it's a great pick. And then moving on to the Cup Series race, um, I was considering Chase Elliott, but I'm going to go a different direction here. It is a bit based on, I mean, it is based on stats in a way, but it's not a guy that's up toward the top of the list as far as average finishes. But I think Kyle Busch is going to go back to back. I think just this team is just on another level right now. Um, you know, and Kyle Busch is feeling better than he has in, in probably years. and just I don't know. I, I just I feel good about this and I feel that, you know, if anyone's going to, to win back to back, I think Kyle is, is just as good of a an option to do that as any. So I think uh the momentum that he and the A team have right now, I think they're a, a great chance to get this done and that's why I'm going with the eight. And I think it's another great pick because, I mean, even I had brought up that possibility earlier of him potentially going back to back. So that tells you even that I'm kind of having a little bit of a gut feeling that that could happen. Even just revisiting where Kyle is at right now, just as far as the points. I mean, he's, you know, not only does he have the two wins this season, but even just looking at the points as a whole, I mean, he's he's been one of the best as far as just collecting points and being consistent this season. So I think that's just right. that's just more evidence to what you said, Jeremy, that just the eight team, they're on a whole nother level this season. I know it's like, and you said it yeah. earlier, Tyler Reddick, he did good last season winning the three races. I think he definitely elevated the eight team and brought them to a place they hadn't been in some time. And needless to say, Kyle Busch is just, he's taking that and he's running with that even further. So another excellent pick, Jeremy, and really, you know, I mean, it is Kyle Busch, of course, Hall of Famer. You can never be surprised, obviously, if he's going to win, but I certainly... Certainly, there's no other way for me to say that I absolutely would not be su- surprised for him to win at Dover and to make it back-to-back. I mean, come on, it's Kyle Busch. How can you bet against him? Exactly. Well, that'll about do it for this edition of the Speedcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and for joining us here for episode number 174. Darren's got Paddle Award and Chase Elliott. I've got Scott Dixon and Kyle Busch. 
Again, that's all the time we have for you on this episode of the Speedcast. But remember, go like and follow us on Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts for your listening needs. Remember to go like us on Facebook and then follow us on Twitter at the Speedcast as well. For Darren Baxter, I'm Jeremy Smith. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll be back to talk with you next week to recap Dover Weekend.